Le baseball. Peut-il survivre à Montréal? Écoutez le podcast Lockdown sur MLB. You are locked on MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Bonjour! Bienvenue! All right, I'm done speaking French and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. If you don't believe me, how could I have a lower third where I'm called Sully? I am an Emmy-nominated television producer who has been a baseball podcaster for well over a decade now, and I'm going to go into my sixth full season here as a host on the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. Hey, follow us at Lockdown MLB Pods on Twitter or on Instagram. And I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. For those of you who listen to us every day and you want to post something on one of those platforms, be sure to use the hashtag EverydaySully so I can know who's listening every single day. Hey, you'll notice I'm in a slightly different place here. Uh, I am in my classroom because this is the only time I had to coordinate with my guest today, uh, which is Laura Saba, who was one of the hosts of Locked On Canadiens. Why am I bringing on the host of one of the hockey shows? Well, I'll tell you exactly why. Because over the next few months or so, I'd love to talk about some of the potential landing places for an expansion team or a team that has moved. We've already talked to the host of Locked On Golden Knights to talk about how Las Vegas may or may not be a viable place to put a baseball team. I happen to be a big fan of Montreal as a potential landing spot. Yes, I know they had a team and things didn't work out, but that was about a quarter of a century ago or almost a quarter of a century ago. Things have changed. Things have passed. And Montreal is a very good sports town. So we're going to talk to her a little bit about taking the temperature of Montreal as a potential team. Now, uh, first, let's talk about the trivia question we had on Jeff Snyder the other day. And I said, who is the home run champion for the Los Angeles Dodgers? Duke Snyder and Gil Hodges are the overall champion, but they did most of their home run hitting in L.A. The answer is Eric Karros. And Dan Bourgeois was one of the ones who got it correct. That made me do a little bit of a double take. And, yeah, it is true. When you take a look at the Dodgers' history, they have multiple championships in L.A. They won in 59. They won in 63, 65, uh, 81, 88. And, yes, they won in 2020. I know some of you were right about, ah, that's a asterisk series. They won the World Series that was played that year. Same could be said about 81 when they beat the Expos in the NLCS. They didn't have the best record in the National League. Hell, the team with the best record in baseball were the Cincinnati Reds, who didn't make the playoffs because of the split-season format. So, yeah, the Dodgers have had some weird World Series championship, but 2020 was the one they played, and they won it. So how am I going to take that away from them? But on their entire history, they haven't really had that dominant offensive player who has, you know, they haven't had their answer to Willie Mays or Frank Robinson. Oddly, they did have Roberto Clemente in their farm system, 
but he was lost to the Pirates in the Rule 5 draft, and he became the greatest Pirate of all time. Anyway, uh, Eric Karras is that. It just takes 300 home runs to be the all-time Los Angeles Dodger home run champion, and Lord knows it would have been Mike Piazza if he didn't clash with ownership in 1998. And still one of the, you know, it's funny, the the Mookie Betts trade from Mookie from uh, Boston to L.A. was almost a karmic uh, repaying for L.A. fans for the team trading away Mike Piazza. Watch Mookie Betts clinch all the Dodger records and Red Sox fans just smash their head against the wall. Um, no huge news coming out of the winter meetings in Nashville. By the way, we will be doing a show about Nashville as a potential uh, landing spot for uh, a Major League Baseball team. I think that's the most obvious one. Um, there was a, a, there's a couple of interesting uh, facts. Is uh, um, It looks like Tyler O'Neill is going to be traded from the Cardinals. Uh, the minute he gets traded, he's an, absolutely inevitably going to be an MVP candidate. Um, the uh, We mentioned Mookie Betts. It looks like they're going to shift him to second base. He's going to be their everyday second baseman. And I and I could see that. You know, even if he's an okay second baseman defensively, he's so better than almost any other, you know, than most players in general, but certainly most other second basemen. He would just improve the lineup and allow the Dodgers to say, instead of getting an everyday second baseman, let's get another good outfielder and give themselves the depth there. Um uh, Rob Thompson, that's a, that's one of the bigger stories going on, is that Rob Thompson, who's done an absolutely tremendous job when he took over for Joe Girardi in the 2022 season, led the Philadelphia Phillies to a trip to the World Series in 2022, almost did it again this year. Hard to argue against him as the manager of the Phillies. He's done a fantastic job. So um, good work on him. He gets a contract extension with the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, and it's funny, the, uh, uh, the Mariners have made, uh, a series of trades recently, um, including trading away Marco Gonzalez and, uh, Kelnick, all these people who just a few years ago looked like they were going to be the foundation for an improved Seattle Mariner teams. And now they've basically shipped everyone off in as, as parts. There's been a little bit of people wondering if the clearing of the payroll for the Seattle Mariners is there because the Mariners want to make room for a Juan Soto or a Shohei Otani. I don't think Shohei Otani is going to go to the Seattle Mariners, but Soto could be an intriguing landing spot for the Seattle Mariners. And he's young enough that, again, whatever prospect you want to give up for him, especially if you pony up the money to sign him to a long-term deal, is worth it. It's one of the reasons why I wonder what the Yankees are even thinking about. He's a left-handed power hitter in his prime. You know, they let they didn't sign Harper when they had a chance to do that. They didn't sign Freeman when they had a chance to do that. Are you really going to hold on to your prospects when you have a player in his prime who would feast in Yankee Stadium? I don't know, and neither do you, but if the Mariners want to get in on it, that's fine by me. 
Well, if any other big news comes around, we'll let you know. But we're going to be talking a little bit about the possibility of Montreal being a landing spot for a Major League Baseball team. I know we come to sports to escape from some of the crazy realities of real life, but can we talk just a minute about preparing for real life? According to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade. That's pretty scary. I can't imagine more helpful feeling than one of my two kids getting sick while a supply chain issue kept them from getting the life-saving medication they need. Thankfully, we'll be okay because of Chase Medical. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, skin infections, among others. This stuff can happen to any one of us. Visit jacemedical.com to complete your physician encounter. It'll be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. Go to jacemedical.com and use for code LOCKEDON to get $20 off of your order. That's Jace Medical. LOCKEDON has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with local experts at Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first-ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Now, as I mentioned earlier, they're talking in Nashville, which is a place that I think was a no-brainer for a Major League Baseball team. But what about Montreal? Well, to talk about it with us, is one of the voices of Locked On Canadians who's joining us, Laura Saba. Nice to see you. Oh, you're muted. Thank you so much for having me, Sully. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Look at I've been a. I just want to just the background. I'm a big proponent. I think Montreal is. Even though the the Expos moved, there were a lot of other factors around that besides support. I think the stadium, I think the strike, and a lot of things kind of collided at once. The bitterness of the Expos leaving, that was in 2000. It's nearly been 20 years. And if I use my rule of seven, there are 26-year-old kids in Montreal who have zero clear memories of the Expos even existing. And quite frankly, it's a huge city with really good sports fans. Um, the Canadians are one of the best drawing teams in all the NHL. So Laura, as someone who is close to the Canadians and Montreal sports, tell me your thoughts about the potential of Montreal as a destination site for a potential major league team. I feel like it's gone from a pipe dream to an actual dream now. Uh, you know, part of it is based on on the on the plan, like Major League Baseball's plans, but a lot of it also has to do with the way they approach it, right? Like if it's done right, I feel like there's going to be a lot of support because when I remember back in the day, I don't want to date myself or age myself, but I was in university when those games were happening when the, when they were leaving, and it was right. such a sad time in Montreal, but they couldn't give tickets away. 
And so you have to make it somewhere where they can draw. And they were really successful at Jerry Park because Jerry Park was an amazing experience to be at. Whereas the big O, it had the number of seats, but it was not that experience. I mean, I became a Red Sox fan. A lot of people kind of, you know, uh, younger people sort of picked a team that's like in the area or one that was doing well to kind of follow. But to have one in the hometown, people who are baseball fans will want to go. But I think it's such a great summer thing in Montreal. The stadium will have to be accessible. It has to be easy to get to because they are competing against hockey. And that's the reality of any Canadian market. They will be competing against hockey, whereas the Canadians will be able to draw when they're not doing well. The, main, the, the, the baseball team, whatever it is, will have to not just be good. And if they're not good, they have to have something that draws them in. So the experience itself has to be worth it. And to be honest, I live in Montreal. I, I'm a Montrealer. The big O is not an experience, right? Oh, no. It's not something that people want to see. So if you make it an experience, whether the team is good or not, and ideally they would be comp competitive, you will still get people to come. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it, but I think the, the idea of going to a baseball game in the summer after work, meeting your friends, you know, having drinks, catching up and watching sports at the same time, that's something that Montrealers would love. We have so little summer. We should be able to enjoy it. I went to a game at Lestat Olympique back in 1995, the year after the strike. And there was so much bitterness there because they were the best team in baseball when the strike hit. And they were a legitimately great team in 1994. And they just were like Pedro Martinez was still there, but and Moises Alou was still there. But the rest of the team was just completely gutted. And look at Montreal is an absolutely gorgeous city. And it's a great city with a great downtown. And where they built La Stade Olympique for the 76 Olympics, it might as well be on Prince Edward Island. It is so <laughs> far away. And it looks like the Starship Enterprise crashed in the middle of a, a field. And when I was there, they had roped off entire regions of the stadium so even if there were 40,000 there there would be 30,000 empty seats and believe me when I was there there weren't 30,000 <laughs> people there and it was echoey and I went there with my dad and we loved the city of Montreal and mind you we also went to a game at Skydome it was called Skydome back then and the Blue Jays were very very good then it was the mid-90s and they were jam-packed because they still had Molitor and Joe Carter and Roberto Alomar, all the heroes from the World Series were still there. And you're right. You see even now when the Blue Jays are good, Rogers Center is jam-packed and it's a, it's a carnival. Exactly. When the Blue Jays are bad, there's tumbleweed blowing around in there. But the Habs, the Habs <laughs> led the league in attendance last year and they didn't make the playoffs. <laughs> Not only that, they were pretty bad. Um, but I think I think that's exactly it, and, and and the Blue Jays themselves too. You know, I've I've been to some bad games there, but when the weather's good and the Sky Dome is down, the tickets are cheap. Uh, I'm sorry, the roof is down. I still call yes. it the Sky Dome. It's Rogers Center. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rogers Center. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a great place to spend a, a day. But like, we get so much rain here that when the roof is closed, it kind of feels like you're sitting in an airplane hangar. And that's how I would describe the the Big O. It it, it felt like a dusty airplane oh. hangar. 
it, it didn't feel it wasn't fun to go to right so if you're losing that and you don't have a good team and you also like this is the thing you have to feel that the team owner is invested in its success right like if the owner of the team doesn't care about the team then why are we supposed to be invested in it right and so I think Montreal fans are very sensitive to that kind of thing I mean we just had the Alouettes win the championship right like when they got good people were going to see the games but mm -hmm. uh, like outside of that it's pretty cold and it's hard to get to so it, it's not that successful right i mean so you really you have to understand when you <laughs> take the like i can't stress this enough yes there there are some like football towns that like where the giants and jets play in east rutherford new jersey you got to take the you know the bus across the river and everything like that where the 49ers play isn't even remotely close to san francisco however where this is you have to take a train so <laughs> far out of town and, and there's nothing there besides the the crumbling olympic village and it's so you have to it's a you have to make a destination plan to go there there's no like the stadium in for example, in San Diego, which is one of the best stadiums in baseball, is right in the middle of the gas lamp district. There's restaurants, there's bars, there's public transportation, and there's big park. And if you have a moment of spontaneity, you can say, oh, the Padres are playing there. And you walk right over to one of the best stadiums in baseball. You have to make an effort and a plan <laughs> to get your ass out to that stadium. And uh, you, it's just... It, it if again I've used this analogy, but if you have a Venn diagram of the worst possible scenarios for a stadium, right in the middle of it is La Stade Olympique. Yeah. However, <laughs> ironically, because it still exists, it means Montreal at least has a place temporarily to put a team. There's not a lot of in America. There's a lot of empty. There's a lot of college. Uh, football stadiums that could temporarily house an NFL team. There's tons of arenas that could temporarily house a hockey team. Look at the, the Coyotes are playing practically in a high school, uh, you know, <laughs> pretty much. It was it's like an ice skating rink, you know, um, <laughs> but you could still put them there. There's yeah. not a lot of 30,000 seat baseball stadiums just lying around. That's why when the Expos were going to move, it was like, what are we debating? They're going to move to Washington. That's the only place they could go. And, Montreal because they have a crappy stadium but it's a stadium <laughs> and and they could build the finally build Labatt Stadium or whatever the hell they were going to build in downtown <laughs> Montreal um tell me a little bit about the climate and tell me a little bit about the for the lack of a better word political intrigue <laughs> of Montreal and sports right now so I think if you're if you're a diehard baseball fan, I totally understand this. They like people do feel that the government should, you know, contribute to a stadium that's going to that's going to cause buy-in from Major League Baseball. Whereas I think like the rest of the people at large don't want their tax dollars spent on this, but they would be extremely happy if private interests got together and built something right and there's a lot of studies and depending on which study you look at like yes it does revive an area or no it doesn't it's good for economic development or no it's not but the bottom line is in Quebec and in Montreal like we are quite heavily taxed right and so when people feel like it's not everybody that's going to use the services 
they're not going to contribute towards it. So that so there's not a, a whole lot of willingness, but it's not an outright no. People say that if they build it, if, if a rich person builds it, I will come, right? So right. I think that's it. And the mayor of Montreal in the last couple of uh, uh, elections, like that was her platform is, we will contribute financially to a stadium if the people of Montreal vote for it, right? If the people of Montreal are willing to pay for it, we'll contribute, we'll pay for it. But if not, it has to be private interest. But my question is, with in terms of private interests, there's so much you could do if you got a conglomerate together. Maybe there's not one family or one corporation or one person that's going to bring us a stadium, but there's so much to do. If you get a conglomerate together, you you put something in Montreal's image. There's so many places that are still underdeveloped or undeveloped close to downtown that are accessible um, that would make such a beautiful place to spend an evening, right? Mm -hmm. And that's exactly it. It's like if you build the experience, people will come, but I know that as a population, we're not willing, all of us, to pay. The diehards are willing to pay. Myself as a sports fan, I'm kind of hybrid. I'm like, I, I need to see some private interest as well. Right. But in general, like the attitude here is we need to, we need, we need to, it has to be private pockets, not public mm -hmm. pockets. Well, I mean, some of the more successful stadiums in America over the last bunch of years I mean, the, the stadium in San Francisco has been an overwhelming success, and that was almost entirely privately funded. And it's the two beautiful. New, the two it's new states. I mean, it's beautiful. It fits in perfectly in the city. And, of course, what was the big – I mean, the Giants had threatened to move in both the 70s and the 90s because their stadium was so terrible. I mean, it's a similar situation. I was living in the Bay Area when there was talk of moving. Believe it or not, they wanted to move from San Francisco to Tampa. I mean, that was that's when Tampa was a destination place. Now, Tampa, Tampa is either a place in baseball history where either everyone wanted to go to or leave. But it's never been a place where people actually wanted to be. <laughs> um, and and because they had built a stadium in Tampa in the mid in the late 90s to attract the team. They tried to attract the White Sox. They tried to attract the Twins. So it was it was the great leverage. Like we could always move to Tampa because it was just sitting there unused. <laughs> Um, and if there was, if there were any two stadium, if there are any two stadium situations from my youth that were complete disasters, one was San Francisco, the, the, um, Candlestick Park, which I would go to in high school because when we lived in the Bay area and you'd go there on a summer night in San Francisco wearing a parka having mittens you look like you were <laughs> you look like you were doing the Iditarod there because that's how freezing it was and the other was the sta another stadium I went to which was in in Cleveland the old Cleveland Municipal Stadium which was an 80,000 seat stadium that couldn't draw 10 wow. and it was it was called the mistake by the lake because it was on the lake and this huge fog would come billowing in and then the the new stadiums they built there the I still call it Jacobs Field I forget what the hell it's called now but suddenly the it's Cleveland nice, <laughs> was that? It's nice though. I can't remember. It's the gorgeous. <laughs> it's gorgeous and it's small and it's compact. And the stadium in San Francisco is the best in baseball. You know, the month, you know, there's so many cities that were lost causes. Seattle was a lost cause. And now they're a tremendous success with their new park. I think Montreal, if they had the right stadium in the seventies and eighties, especially the 80s when they built some great teams, if they had the right stadium instead of the awful place, I think they could have built the strong fan base along the lines of the Blue Jays 
and could have succeeded big time. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I absolutely believe that. And that's it. It's like there are some sports in, especially in Canada, you know, a sport like hockey or in certain areas of, of the U.S. football, right? Yep. There are certain sports where they don't need to be good and the experiences need to be great and they're still going to have a massive fan base. But there are some where you kind of have to play to the marketing. It can be mm-hmm. successful, but you have to put an effort in it. And I think ownership is so important in all sports. Ownership buy-in, ownership attitude is so important. And particularly in a case such as this, if you have the right people get together and say, we're going to make this happen and succeed in Montreal, it will. I have absolutely no doubt because people in Montreal, you know, we're an easygoing people. We like to have fun. We work to have fun. And what is more fun than spending, you know, a weekday? Like that's my favorite thing is like baseball could be such a good weeknight activity. It's not, you know, it's not high maintenance and it's a way to catch up with your friends, but also watch sport. It's not like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't require too much, emotional labor but you get a lot of emotional reward from that right well i mean it's it's why i mean the nickname of the national pastime is so accurate it's not you don't sit there intense i mean i sometimes do but (laughs) but there are so many games as i said a lot of times like i'm i'm here in my in my workplace here in pasadena there's so many times when i'm leaving work and it's like it's it's five o'clock here in in california i go oh it's about eight o'clock on the east coast I just want to listen to a game. I just exactly. want to listen. And and it's a daily companion. And it is it is different than a hockey team. It is different from a football team because it's it's like this is your companion for the summer. And Canada summers are nice. Yeah. They're very nice. And <laughs> you know, yeah, though there's there's plenty of rain, but there's also if you have it if you have the proper kind of dome that could that where you could put the roof on if it's pouring but you open it up the way they do in Seattle, the way they do in Milwaukee, that if it's open, it has a really great feel to it. Um, and to play that downtown, that, I mean, and, and to have it, and, and to me, this is another critical thing. You have to have something that looks and feels like that hometown, that that downtown. You can't have it. I don't know if you've ever been to um, New Orleans. No, uh, I'm not. New Orleans has a beautiful character and look to it, another you know, city with French origin, but the the Silver Dome looks like the the mothership from Close Encounters landed <laughs> right in the middle of this beautiful city. They need they can't go that route. No, they have to have something that blends in with the city and blends in with the character. That's what makes the San Francisco Stadium so great and Camden Yards so great and the one in in San Diego so great is that it looks like it's been there forever. It feels like the city. It feels like it doesn't feel like an intruder it feels like it belongs right and there's so much of downtown like downtown montreal almost feels like you're in switzerland you know (laughs) it has it has a very european feel to it It so if you build a stadium that has that look and feel to it i i i bet it would be a tremendous success i think so too and that's the thing like i'm always i'm not one of those diehard Expos fans that lives in the past, but I am a person who, you know, I, I think I will always be a Red Sox fan at this point. Like I had so many good memories of that. Right. But right. at the same time, like I would 100% support the team and like, you know, I would, I would get season tickets or packs or things like that. I would drag my friends to the game so that they could experience them. Like I would 100% invest in them, even though I'm a fan of another team, just because of the experience, just because I want it to grow in Montreal. Like I would want, you know, kids to grow up with this team and fall in love with it right so it's a little bit it, it, it's one of those things where i think that it can be done 
and it can be done perfectly. Like there's so much potential and opportunity here. It just needs a bit of buy-in is all. And they already have a, you know, they already have a natural rival with the Blue Jays. Exactly. They have a built-in rivalry. Right. And regional rivalries too, right? Like they've got the Yankees. They've got like, I mean, you know, you look at, exactly. Right. And so it would be so interesting and so fun, I think. But we need the (laughs) buy-in. Yeah. And by the way, if it happens, and I was thinking about this the other day. In fact, I was thinking about this before you logged on. This is, this would be critical for me as a, a, as someone who does love the history of the Montreal Expos and just the history of baseball in general, if there is a new Montreal team, first of all, they must be called the Expos. Okay. And the records of the Expos remove them from the nationals and just say, it's as if we're picking the franchise up. Yeah. You know, and then in exchange, the Washington nationals get the, the records from the old Washington senators and everything that becomes part of their franchise, you know, to me, like, so Walter Johnson and Goose Gosselin and all the great senators from the twenties and thirties, they get to be part of that history of Washington and celebrate the history of Montreal baseball with, you know, Gary Carter and Vlad Guerrero and, and, you know, Larry Walker and Tim Raines and Andre Dawson and, and Steve Rogers and Bill Lee and all of them. I, I, I'm about to rant off a whole bunch. Oh, of I, was, I was just getting goosebumps. The second you said Gary Carter, I started getting the goosebumps. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I, the, the, the I got to ask this yeah. every time I walk down the street and I see someone with an Expos cap. It, yes. And you see them everywhere. In fact, there's a kid in the school. I teach in a high school here. There's a kid here who wears an Expos hat. And th- he was not born. This kid <laughs> was not born then. He's in high school now. Every time I see an Expos hat, I get I get a little goosebumpy here. How often do you see people in Montreal wearing Expos gear? Expos gear? Quite a bit, actually. Like, there are some that are fans or the children of fans or the younger mm-hmm. siblings of fans. There's quite a lot, but it's also kind of like a Quebec Nordiques uh, jersey where, like, the team's not yeah. there anymore, but the logo now is, like, you know, the it's emotional bitterness yeah. has passed, right? So it's just, mm-hmm. like, it's a beautiful statement piece and people wear that stuff. But, you know, like, somebody wearing an Expos hat is more often than not, like, a baseball fan. Like, they might be right. a fan of another team. It's just something cool to have. It's a great hat. It's, such a yeah. great logo yeah and it's it doesn't carry the same kind of um you know it doesn't carry the same kind of baggage of an existing team true true well hold on before we before we wrap things up i do gotta read this one more time locked on is locked on has launched the first ever national sports 24 7 streaming channel on youtube locked on sports today is here for you 24 7 covering the top sports stories of the day with local experts on locked on plus our national shows like mine Covering every league, go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever National Sports 24-7 streaming channel. Uh, let's, I'm also going to do the trivia question. We do a trivia question at the end of each show. Uh, but don't, If you know the answer to this, please don't say it. Hey, we're going to talk about Montreal baseball. We rattle off a lot of great names. Who has the most home runs in Montreal Expos history? Who is the Expos all-time Home run king. Don't say the answer, Laura. If you know it, put it right down here on YouTube or or at Locked On MLB Pods on Twitter or whatever it's called now, and Instagram or on my personal Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Laura Saba, tell people where they can listen to your terrific show. 
They can find our podcast wherever they find your podcast. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast on audio, as well as on YouTube and on Twitter or whatever it's called now. We are at LO underscore Canadians. Well, I look at, I'm really thrilled you came on. We were only supposed to do one segment. but we wound up doing two. But, you <laughs> know, that's so because, because we, you know, because it's fun to talk expos. <laughs> it's fun to talk expos. And thank you so much for joining us and uh, being part of the Locked on MLB. Not often do you have a hockey baseball crossover, but that's how we're doing things. Thank you well, so much. On behalf of Laura Saba, the host of Locked on Montreal Canadiens, this has been Locked on MLB. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.